Good morning. Thank you. Uh, good morning. It's been a long time since you've heard, uh, have had me up here speaking, and it's quite different. Um, I was here for a long time yesterday practicing, so it's not much different from that, uh, with the exception that we have a handful of people here uh, to help put this on YouTube, which is a, a bit different. But uh, hopefully, through God's grace, it's His words that come forth today. Now, as many of you know, I had, um, excuse me, I was laid off from my job after 15 years. And to be honest, it really affected me in ways that I didn't totally expect. I was affected emotionally and spiritually. Emotionally, because the enemy took my emotions and kept pushing and twisting my thoughts and my feelings. And spiritually, because my faith in Jesus was solidified and that he has something for me and that he will take care of me and my family during this time. And I've actually, I've seen it. And my family has seen it, how God has protected us. Now, with everybody home since early March, Annika came home from school on March 6th and never went back. And Elise and Kristen have been home doing school since about March 13th. Uh, that was a Friday, so whatever that Monday was. Uh, and so we, we've been at home as a family, which has been good and challenging. Good because we're able to see each other a lot and be a family. And challenging because we're able to see each other a lot and be a family. Um, so that, that's been interesting, but as much as I want it to be about me, it's not. And as much as my girls want it to be about them, it's not. I really know who you guys want to know about, and that's Kristen and the baby. Uh, so Kristen and Maddox, his name is Maddox, uh, are doing well. They're both healthy and well. We have about five weeks left, um, which means that Kristen's uncomfortable. Um, you know, it, it's, it's, there's a lot of differences between the girls and the boy uh, in how she feels, but it is one that um, since the girls, it was a bit ago, um, it's, it's kind of a new experience for her all over again. Now, as we are getting ready for his arrival, he is stretching and moving, and everybody's excited. The girls are very excited for their little brother, but nervous at the same time because they understand that their lives are going to change, but they just don't know how much. This picture here <coughs> that we have of, of Maddox, baby A for Annika and baby E for Elise, Kristen sent to her third grade class asking, who does he look more about? Now, in these pictures, uh, he looks a lot more like Elise just because of the pictures that we have. Um, and that's been the, pretty much the consensus, but we'll know when he comes in a few weeks. So we're all excited to see Maddox, as well as I'm sure you guys are excited to see Maddox. Um, and so it'll be a lot different, but it'll be very exciting nonetheless. Now... How many of you know who Eric Liddell is, or Eric Lytle? He's the picture of the guy in 451 here on the screen or on the PowerPoint. And um, some of you may know who he is. 
but I'm, I'm guessing that, that most of you probably don't. Now, if you're 40 years of age, like me or older, you probably know the movie Chariots of Fire. And so that's a story or a part of the story of Eric in his struggles and challenges to get to the 1924 Olympic Games. Now, this picture that I have here is of him winning the 400-meter dash in the Olympics in 1924. His actually primary event was a 100-meter dash. Um, however, he strained some of his muscles in his lungs in trying to uh, get there, That he and, and as well as other things. Uh, the final race was on a Sunday, and his conviction was not to run on Sunday because that is the Lord's Day. So much so that he only ran in the 400-meter race and nothing else because of his convictions. But I don't want to necessarily talk about him running the race. <clears throat> what I want to talk about is what comes after. So what comes after the Olympics is that Eric went back to the University of Edinburgh and graduated. Now, there are a lot of people were wondering and hoping that he was going to compete for the next winter, uh, excuse me, next Olympic Games, but instead he announced that he was going to be a missionary to China, which came as quite a shock to everybody except those who actually knew him. Now, as a missionary to China, he met his wife. They've had children together, and they were ministering there as a family. Now, if you guys, if you know anything about history, during that time of the 20s through the mid-1940s, China was not the easiest place to be a missionary in or to be at, period. But that didn't stop Eric. He continued as a missionary and was able to study whenever he could. And through the mid-1930s through the mid-1940s, Eric was traveling between China, Canada, and the United Kingdom. Now, that was a very difficult time, but it became even more of a challenge when World War II was going on. When he was a missionary in, in China, in 1943, Eric was imprisoned in an internment camp. Fortunately, his family, his wife and two kids, were in Canada at the time. Now, in the internment camp in China... It was a very difficult time as there was food shortages, sickness, severe cold, little heat, and not, not very good clothing. Many, many people suffered, and Eric was one of them. It's interesting because in 2008, right before the Olympic Games in Beijing, the Chinese government revealed that Eric had been included in a prisoner exchange between Great Britain and Japan. Eric gave up his place uh, for freedom and gave it to a pregnant woman. And a lot of his uh, people that he was um, interned with in the internment camp said that that's what he did. He gave and gave and gave. Eric knew what the foundation of his faith was. It was in Jesus. And he took it very seriously. And it showed that he gave everything that he had, even his life, when he died in 1945 at the age of 43. 
Now we're going to get a little bit into Eric's life here in just in a little bit here, but what I want to do is last week, Chris finished the God Chosen Fast series. And it's always interesting to me when somebody speaks about fasting because I always get a little nugget, something that I can chew on and, and something new that I haven't thought of before. And as pastor prepares for a new sermon series, you get to hear me, which is exciting. Uh, and I'll be here kind of as a third down change of pace running back. Now, as I was preparing for this sermon, I kept thinking to my new child coming. And as many of you know, and I know as well as we'll learn again, that you have to tell a toddler a couple of dozen times no before they fully understand it. And sometimes teenagers and us as well have to be told. And what I'm talking to you about today, I know that you've heard before, but like a toddler, the word of God needs to be reinforced in us by hearing it again and again. So I want to take a little bit to talk to you about the visual representation, the parable that Christ gives us at the end of his Sermon on the Mount, which is found in Matthew chapter 7. Now, the Sermon on the Mount goes from chapter 5 through chapter 7, but we're going to look at the, this um, parable that he gives us right at the end. And before we get there, though, the, the, what we see before that passage, before the passage we're going to go over, Jesus tells us that not everyone who calls him Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven. People will say that they have done things, have done much in his name, but Jesus will reply, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. This is what is said heading into our passage today, which is Matthew 7, and we're going to look at verses 24 through 27. So if you have your Bibles, let's open to Matthew 7, 24 through 27. And it says, When everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. And the rains fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. And the rains fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Here at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says to those who hear and do what he says, is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. Now, what is it about building on the rock that would cause Jesus to mention it? Many years ago, before I had kids, before I was married, I took a class in geology at Green River, and I love history, so it was fantastic because it was a lot of history about how rocks were made and, and that type of thing. And what was very uh, prevalent was the different types of rocks that are there. In the Denver area, the, the Rocky Mountains, we have a lot of granite, and which is a very, very hard rock. 
But in a lot of other places, there's a soft rock like sandstone that can erode very easily. When Jesus spoke to the people about the wise man building on the rock, they knew exactly what type of rock he was speaking about. He wasn't speaking about sandstone that is soft, that can erode, that can change shape easily. But instead, he was talking about a hard rock, a rock that will last, a rock that won't erode or move. Now, when building on rock, there are always several questions. And some of the questions that I had, is it sturdy? Is it stable? Is the foundation firm so it doesn't move? Is there more to what Jesus is saying in this passage than just building on a rock or building on sand? And my answer is, well, of course there is. It wouldn't be a parable if it wasn't. Now, the word tells us that Jesus is the foundation. And we should be standing and building on that foundation. 1 Corinthians 3.11 says, For no one can lay a foundation other that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the foundation that was laid. Ephesians 2.20 says, Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstones. The apostles are preaching Jesus to the Jews and Gentiles alike. The teaching and the life of Jesus is the foundation of what they're sharing with them. Isaiah 28, 16. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am the one who laid the foundation in Zion, a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of sure foundation, Whoever believes will not be in haste. Likewise, the prophets are preaching and teaching about the Son of Man. The Son of Man of Jesus to the people of Israel. Now, if you look at the Old Testament, all of the prophets, everything is talking and pointing to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. He is the foundation. He is the rock for which we are to stand and base everything on. We need to be like the wise man who built his house on the rock. Now, conversely, if you're to look at the other in verse 26, it says, and everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. Now, what makes it foolish to build your house on the sand? A man desires to build a house for his family. He looks everywhere. He's looking at property and property. He's looking at property in town, property away from town, property in the hills, property next to the water, and then he sees it. It's gorgeous. It's got waterfront. It's fantastic. It's got sandy beach on part of it. It's, it's amazing. He sees this lot, it's in his price range, and he desires it, he wants it. He tastes it. Now, as we were looking for our house a couple years ago, I had this thought, this view of what I wanted. And the house we're in checks a lot, if not all of the boxes that we wanted. 
And this property did the same. And as this man is looking at this property, he has his vision in his head and he's thinking of all the barbecues he can have. The family gatherings. He can put the fire pit over there and party lights over here. He's thinking of having family over for all of the holidays. Everything about this property is perfect. So the man buys the property and he starts to build his house. And he takes time because he wants to make sure it's done just right. He wants to make sure all of the finishings are gorgeous and beautiful. He wants to make sure that there's excellent craftsmanship going into this house because it's for his family. He spends a lot of time looking at amazing furniture and appliances. But when he's done and he looks at what he has accomplished and thinks that this is going to be fantastic. But there's something he doesn't think about. He just doesn't think about it. He doesn't think about what he is building on. Okay. Many years ago, before I was married, I was invited to spend the 4th of July at Ocean Shores. And this is actually a picture of Ocean Shores on the 4th of July. Not my picture. Uh, And there was about 10 of us staying in a house, and we went to the beach. And uh, it was fantastic because as far as we could see on either side, people were lighting off fireworks. It was amazing. But when everything was done, it turned into a massive mess of vehicles with everybody trying to get off the beach at the same time. There wasn't any sense of order or a process to be able to do this. And in the process, in in this process, myself, my brother-in-law, and my father-in-law, my now brother-in-law and father-in-law, were pushing car after car as they were getting stuck because they were driving in the soft sand. Now, their desire was to get off the beach as fast as humanly possible. And that led them to do something that caused them to get their car or truck stuck. The man who built his house on the sand did the same thing. Both are not seeing the full picture of their situation. The the sand is um, unstable, and even walking in it can be pretty labor-intensive. As many of you know, if you ever went to the beach and tried to walk in deep sand or chase after a child who's walking in deep sand or running or trying to run, it's hard. Now, most people don't deliberately seek to build build on a false or inferior foundation. Instead, they're just not thinking about it. Here, Jesus is talking to those who hear his words but don't pay them any attention. They're like those um, who know they should drive on the, who should not drive on the soft sand, but they do it anyway. And we've all been there. Um, Luckily, when I've done it, I haven't gotten stuck, but we see people doing it all the time. They have heard the words of Jesus, but have have not kept them in their hearts. The Christian way of life can never be practiced unless it is based on a solid foundation, the sure foundation of Jesus Christ himself. 
During good times, both men and women, the wise and the foolish of faith, may look good from the outside. But during times of trials and adversity, it is when we truly see who is wise and who is the foolish. Verse 25 says, And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it was because it had been the foundation has been founded on the rock. And verse 27 says, And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and blew against the house, and it fell, and great was the fall. Now both houses went through the same experience, the same storm. The rain came from above, the floods came from below, the winds blew from the side. They were under the same siege being bombarded by the same harsh elements from all sides with one drastic difference. And that's the result. It's a result. Now, it reminds me of Genesis chapter 6. And this is where Noah is in the ark. And, it's, and the rains come from above. And the water bursts from below. The weather provided, in Genesis 6, the weather provided judgment for the people of earth. It was there. They were condemned and they died. Except for Noah who walked with God. Along with his family, they were all saved. Noah's foundation was of God. And we see that because we were told that he walked with God. Both houses are under the same judgment. There is a storm, and it's the same storm for both of them as they are attacked from all sides. We are also attacked from all sides. We get it from Satan, we get it from people. We are attacked, but it is the foundation of who we are that people see in our lives. The man who built his house on the rock is able to weather the storm. And even though it's trying to be, uh, the storm is trying to bring everything down around him, the man understands that it is the firm foundation, the sure foundation that will allow him to weather the storm. For believers, it is the house we built in our house, in our hearts. On the firm foundation of it, Jesus, and it's his foundation alone that we will be able to weather the storm or the trials or the adversity we deal with. Now, Luke chapter 8, verse 48, is the same uh, parable at the end of the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus speaks of. But in Luke, he says that the man who built the house upon the rock dug deep. Digging deep is not easy. It's labor intensive. There's a lot of effort that needs to take place. Jesus is the rock, and it's not easy for him to be our foundation. When the enemy or the world or our family, or our co-workers are working hard 
to counter what Jesus wants us to do. However, the man who built his house on the rock, excuse me, the man who built his house on the sand instead went the easy way, the way that makes us feel good. Makes us feel good because we don't want our feelings to get hurt. We don't want our reputation tarnished. We don't want our career to be over. The sand is our own understanding. The sand is us leaning on the world for answers. We're looking inwards at ourselves to solve the problems that we have and are in. And building our house on everything and everything except Jesus. When trials and adversity come to those people, everything comes crashing down. In Luke 6, 49, it says, actually, when the storm came, the house was immediately fell and the ruin of the house was great. If Jesus and his foundation is not what your house is built upon when the storm hits, everything that you have will come crashing down. The storm is more than just trials and adversity here on earth. But it's also for when judgment happens. We know there are two types of people, those who believe in Jesus and those who do not. If you have, if you have Christ in your foundation, as your foundation within your life, then you'll be able to weather the storm of judgment. However, if you're thinking that you are able to make amends before you die, you're able to ask God for mercy when you're at his feet. If you're there thinking that God will protect you because you go to church, because you sit and listen to pastor, all we have to do is look at the verses before. Specifically, Matthew 7, 21 through 23. We need to be concerned <clears throat> because these verses is a life and death proposition that Jesus is talking about. Not life and death from this world. Not life and death that I can die tomorrow. But eternal life and eternal death. Jesus will tell the people who did works in his name, but only in a lip service manner, he will say, then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. You workers of lawlessness. Jesus said this because these people did not have a firm foundation of him. Their house was not built on him. Their house instead was built on sand. They hope for God to pardon them when, he, when they are at his feet. They're hoping for God's mercy will be enough. And for many, they feel that God's forgiveness is entitled. Repentance is on their own terms. Justification is by their own will and not the righteousness of Christ. They will look for acceptance from God. And for the sake of their own worthiness. And those people will expect salvation any other way except through Jesus Christ. 
do not pay lip service to Jesus when your heart is far from him. There is no solid foundation for you to build your house. Now, when I was researching this, I came upon this and I loved it. And it says, there is nothing we can, we can or should prefer to him who is the true Lord and eternal emperor. But if we have a greater love for this world and for the emperor than for Christ, we shall not hereafter come to Christ, but be brought to hell, which is the affairs of the lords of this world are managed. If we do not come to Christ, then we will go to hell where the affairs of this world is managed. This was taken from a book by a German theologian, John Herr. And he's talking about an emperor because that's what he would have known because he was living, and the book was written in 1858, so he was thinking of the emperor at that time where he lived in Germany. But it doesn't matter if you're in biblical times. It doesn't matter if you're in 1858. It doesn't matter if you're here today in 2020. The message is the same. People don't change. And it's up to you to decide what you want to do. It's easy to say that you have Jesus as your foundation. Your heart is built upon the foundation of Christ. So a question that you need to ask is, is your house built on a solid foundation or are you trying to do things your own, your own way, your own understanding? You're hoping for mercy when you finally get to the feet of Jesus. You're hoping for that last minute forgiveness. Now is the time to change. Now, if we were to look at James chapter 1, verses 23 to 23, it says, Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone who is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. A person having just left the church Excuse me, the person having just left the church service when it was all over. He went out to the parking lot to his car and a gentleman came running up to him saying, yelling at him very loudly, is it over? How is it all done? And the man looks at him and says, no, by all means, no. The sermon was great. The pastor did an amazing job, but we have a lot of work to do. There are a lot of people out there who are just listening to what Jesus is saying, just listening to what the pastor is saying, and they're not having Christ as their firm foundation. They're not having Christ as the person who is leading them and guiding them where they need to be. In Matthew 28, 19, and 20, it says, Go, therefore, make all make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. 
We know this as a great commission. This is what we as believers should be doing. We are disciples. We're building on the foundation of what Jesus has told us from the apostles, from the prophets, and are being continued taught by our pastor today. We are continuing to hear the message of Jesus. Our house should be getting bigger and stronger. The more we learn, the stronger it gets. Did you know that every sermon, every sermon series that Pastor has done is getting us to this singular message of go? Go. We see this because of the mission of Bible Chapel is basically this. For the mission of Bible Chapel is the power of the Holy Spirit to make passionate followers of Jesus Christ and the people, for the people of Auburn, Washington, and beyond. We need the Holy Spirit. We need the Son of Jesus. We need God the Father to build that foundation in our hearts. We need them to be at the center of who we are. We need them to be able to control and to move us. We are told to go and make disciples. Our mission statement says to go and make passionate followers. That's the same thing. We need to go. We need to listen, to observe, to hear the teachings of Jesus. Our hope is in Jesus and with him as our firm foundation, we can weather any storm. But we need to be careful because the storm isn't just wind and rain and floods. The storm is a fight for our eternal life. Our fight with eternal life. I'm going to, I have a story I want to tell and, and we'll close with this. On Wednesday, February 4th of this year, I was called into a meeting room and I was told that my job was eliminated. It was about noon. I was told to go home, not to talk to anybody. And I was giving a, a few pieces of paper that they wanted me to sign or not sign. Now, I wasn't ready to leave work. I wasn't ready to leave my job, to leave my coworkers, to leave the people who were reporting to me, my work friends. I wasn't ready to leave the career that I built over 15 years. And I think that there are many of us who are in a similar situation. That when the time comes, we're not ready. We just aren't ready. And it comes as a shock or a surprise, as it was for me. I was hurt and I was angry. 
And I had to leave that building that day on Wednesday and basically ignore everybody because people were asking what happened in my meeting, asking me what they said. And all I could say was, I'm not at liberty to tell you. I was hurt and angry. But I never got to the point of blaming God. And that's because I knew he had a plan for me. My foundation was on the foundation of Christ. My foundation, my house was built on him and him alone. And it's, it's been hard. The next day, that was a Thursday, February 5th, I woke up at my normal time. I woke up at 6, took a shower, had my coffee. I went to work. I was there a little bit uh, earlier than normal. I usually get there about 8. I was there about 7.30. I really didn't have to do it because I was told the day before that I had two and a half weeks left until my officially last day, and they would prefer me just to stay home. They didn't want me there. They didn't know what I would have done. They didn't know why I would show up. They really didn't want me working at that place anymore. At least in the division I was in. I was being, basically being paid to stay home and do nothing. Now, I'm, I'm not telling you this because I'm looking for a pat on the back. I want you to understand that my foundation is in Christ and Christ alone. Because when I was at work the next morning on that Thursday morning, and people were coming in and they were seeing me and everybody knew what had happened. See, my boss sent out an email to the entire division saying that I, I and I alone in that division had lost their job, that, that my position was eliminated. Everybody else in that same division was relocated to another job except for me. And people were angry and people were upset. And I was there with a smile and a warm greeting. And everybody was expressing all of these emotions. And then the strangest thing happened, one that was unexpected, and that was I was able to witness to them. I was actually able to tell them why everything was going to be okay. And being in a place where there's a lot of people who are not believers, that came as a shock because I kept hearing the same phrase over and over and over again. I don't understand how you can be here today. I wouldn't be. These people seemed to be more angry than I was. And I was angry. And I was frustrated. And I am today. And God, use, or excuse me, the Satan uses that to twist and turn my thoughts. But I know that Christ and in Christ alone, he is bigger and better and will be able to serve me in a way that I cannot serve myself. This is the moment. That Thursday morning and the mornings up until I was done at, the, at my job that I was able to be a hearer and a doer of the word. It wasn't easy. It wasn't easy seeing the tears. It wasn't easy seeing the anger, the confusion, the frustration. 
It wasn't easy having God as my foundation, having Jesus lead me and the Holy Spirit lead me. We also see God's leading in a difficult time through the apostles. Read the book of Acts. It wasn't easy for them. As I said, I still get frustrated and upset. But I know it's the enemy trying to get me to blame God. I want my house to be built on the foundation of Christ and Christ alone. I want my family's foundation to be built on Christ in Christ alone because it is not a determination of this world, but it's what happens next. It's the judgment of God where this is huge because God will say, you are nothing, depart from me. Now, I, this week as I was reading, I heard a phrase and I loved it so much. It's, oh, beloved traveler to eternity. We are travelers to eternity. It's your decision on whether it's going to be hell or you're going to be in paradise rejoicing with Jesus. Oh, beloved travelers to eternity. It is time for you to make a choice. You are going to have to make the hard choice of where your house is built. Is it built on the foundation of Christ? Because it's more than just sitting in the pew. You have to go. It's a command. It's a movement. It's an action. It's not sitting, doing nothing. Go. Or are you going to continue to build your foundation on sandy, sinking ground? This is a decision that you have to make. I cannot make it for you. Pastor Chris cannot make it for you. Coming to church and just sitting in the pew is not making that decision. If you want to have Christ as your foundation, you have to make a decision. And let me tell you, that decision has eternal consequences. Oh, beloved travelers, Excuse me, beloved fellow travelers to eternity. My greatest fear is that my kids will not know Jesus. I came to know Jesus late as about 20 ish, 19, 20, when I came to know him. And that's my greatest fear. And we live in an unusual time. I want to be an example for them. And I want them to be an example for others. And as we live in this time, in this place, where there's six of us in this room and many more at home, in the state of our world, it's hard for me to say because of the distractions, because of the peer pressure, because of everything that is being thrust upon us that says that you should not look to God for understanding, you look to yourself. It's in the news, it's on TV, it's in movies, it's in magazines, it's from the mouth of others. The decision is yours, and it's one that will cost you an eternity. 
So our application point is pretty straightforward. I want you to meditate this week on where your house is built. Is it built on the solid foundation of Christ? Or is it built on the sinking sand of your own understanding? We need to be able to understand where we are. Look at yourself. And when I did this week, there were things that I am not proud of. There are things that make me ashamed and, and upset. But when I look at God through these past few months, working in my life, working in my wife's life, working in my children's lives, I see him moving. I was lucky. God protected me. When a lot of people are losing their jobs or just getting unemployment, they're just out there, they've lost their jobs. I was able to be given a severance package. God was protecting me. My foundation is in him. He will protect you. He will guide you. It's not going to be easy. It's never was ever easy. But it's God's way. He's shaping and molding us to do something great. And that's because we have his foundation here. We have his foundation here. We have his foundation in our life. And that should be the only one that we should be concerned about. So meditate on where your house is built. Meditate on Christ, in Christ alone. Meditate on if you are on a firm, solid foundation or on sinking sand. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, Holy Spirit who is with us, guiding us. Thank you for your word. Your word was heavy and it affected me in a lot of ways this week that I wasn't expecting. I want you to be on which my house is built. I want you to be my firm foundation. We live in unusual times and with trials and adversity, those things will be coming at us from all directions. It is you and you alone who our faith should be in. And because our foundation is of you, we will be able to weather any storm that is going on around us. Whether it's here on earth or eternal. It is because of you that we are able to weather that storm. If you're not sure, if there's people out there who are not sure where their house is sitting, if it's on a sure foundation or on sand, let them feel your presence and let them seek you earnestly. I pray, Heavenly Father, that we are doers and hearers of the word. I want your word to pierce our hearts 
soften our hearts. And that we can hear your voice. Be with us this week. In your blessed name, amen.